Good morning, True Life Church. I'm Shaley. I'm Ashton. This is Johnson. And today we're going to be reading Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. This shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> awesome. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Shaley and Ashton. We're back in Exodus chapter 3, part 3 today. How many people are doing the reading plan throughout the week? Frank, a few people. Lisa, anybody else? A couple of people. Okay, okay, okay. All right. A few people. All right, cool, cool. Here's the main point for today's message. It doesn't matter who you are when we have the promise of God's presence and power. That's the main point. It don't matter who you are when we have the promise of God's presence and power. We all have weaknesses. We all have mistakes we've made in the past, things that we've screwed up with, things that we may be ashamed of. And we all have gifts and talents and experiences that we're tempted to boast in. And on any given day, we're tempted to emphasize one or the other. Right? On any given day, we're tempted to sometimes emphasize or focus on uh, and hyperanalyze our mistakes and our weaknesses and kind of do this, woe is me, I'm so screwed up. And then on other days, if we feel like we're killing it, if we're getting pats on the back, if we're getting validated by enough people, if we're successful at the things that we're uh, endeavoring to be successful at, then we uh, sometimes get very confident and go, oh, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm equipped, and I, God can use me. And, and I want to just encourage us today, and hopefully God will speak to us about this, um, that uh, uh, we shouldn't be fixated on either one. We shouldn't be fixated, overly fixated on either our weaknesses uh, and, and insecurities, nor should we be overly fixated on our strengths and our experiences and our gifts. Doesn't mean we discount those things. I believe in self-awareness. I believe in being objective about where we're, where we're strong and where we're weak. I, I absolutely do. Uh, and I believe that the church community is a place where we are affirmed in our giftings. Um, but there's a difference between um, acknowledging our weaknesses and kind of focusing on them to the point where we're kind of just walking in low self-esteem. And there's a difference between having a confidence that God is gifting us in certain ways versus 
being addicted to the sources of people and things and activities uh, to boost our high self-esteem, if that makes sense. So let me give you an example. In my life, I'm called to a couple different roles. I'm called to be a pastor right now in this season. Don't know how long that's going to be for. But I'm called to be a pastor, and I'm also called to be a father. I'm also called to be a husband, but uh, father and pastor are two areas where right now in particular, I feel inadequate. I feel not equipped enough. I'm uh, and, uh, facing new things in both where I feel like I don't have what it takes to uh, shepherd both my kids or our church and certain families and people in our church to change hearts. I don't have the power to do that. I don't have answers that I used to think that I had, and I'm facing those moments more and more. But it's not from a place of low self-esteem. And so I don't bring that up to fish for compliments after service so that you guys can come and say, well, I think you're doing a great job as a dad or as a pastor. Not looking for that. Not today. You can give me that next week. Uh, <laughs> but not today. Not looking for that today. Um, what, what, what I'm realizing more and more is that I just need to be more dependent on God's presence and God's power in my life and in those roles. And it doesn't really matter where I'm weak. It doesn't really matter where I'm strong as much as I used to think it does. See, I, I, I can be overly focused one day on and, and kind of walk in self-pity and low self-esteem where, where, where I'm weak. Or I can look for people to pat me on the back to validate me. I can focus on areas where I'm strong to make me feel like I'm doing good. But I don't think either one of those things are God's best for me. I think God's best for me is to be so filled with awe of him, so filled with a bigness of, of who he is, that I'm just relying on his presence and his power to walk into things that he's called me to walk in. And God has called each of us to walk and to step out and to take risks in areas of life for his sake, in our families, with our marriages, with our kids, maybe as single people, maybe in our jobs, um, maybe to start new endeavors like Dave and Jen Rivera are going to be doing. He's called all of us to, to step out for the sake of his kingdom and all those ways that he's called us, they require some degree of risk. And if we're too focused on who we are and do I have what it takes and, um, and, and needing validation constantly, then I don't think we're going to step into those roles and step out in obedience the way he wants us to. We're going to see God calling a guy named Moses today to go on a mission for him. And God doesn't focus on who Moses is. God focuses on his promise of his presence and his power. And he wants Moses to focus on the promise of his presence and his power. He doesn't want Moses focusing on whether or not he's got what it takes in and of himself. He doesn't try to boost up Moses' self-esteem in this scene. In fact, I'll put it like this. The opposite of low self-esteem is not high self-esteem. The opposite of our self-pity days is not let me find people who are going to put me, pat me on the back. The opposite of it is a high God esteem. It's having a big view of who God is that we're so, we're so enamored with who God is that we just forget about who we are. We're not even worried about it anymore. There's actually a book written by a guy named Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's a tiny, thin little book. I highly recommend it. Freedom from low self-esteem is not 
high self-esteem because then we get addicted to whatever it is that's giving us that high self-esteem. Whether it's a boyfriend that makes us feel oh so special or it's, or it's an activity, a sport, good grades that make us feel like this is where I'm worth it, then we get addicted to those things. We have to keep being successful. God wants us to f forget about our self-esteem and be so filled with awe of him that we're like, wow, God, where, where you call me to go, I'm going to go because I have the promise of your presence and your power. And I'm going to build that out. I'm going to make the case for that in this, in this section of Scripture, hopefully. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. And then uh, we're going to jump down to verses 18 to 20. If you've been doing the reading, uh, then you know where we are in, in this story. But let me just kind of recap really, really quickly. Um, God has taken the people of Israel from the family of Abraham. He's promised to create uh, a nation out of them. And through that nation, God says, all nations on earth will be blessed through them. All nations. Okay. Now, they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied in, into a large nation of sorts, the size of a nation, but they're slaves in Egypt. They've become slaves in Egypt. The Pharaoh uh, it has gotten threatened by their size, so he made them slaves. And then, because he's so threatened by them, he tried to uh, get rid of all newborn baby boys born to the Hebrew people. He told the midwives, first of all, we looked at this last week, toss out the boys, keep the girls toss out the boys. The girls can be assimilated into our culture. The boys, we got to get rid of. The Hebrew midwife stood up to him, stood up to the Pharaoh, because they had a big view of who God is. They feared God. They had an awe of God. They were like, no way, sucker. We ain't going to listen to him. We're going to let these boys live. And so chapter one ended with the king of Egypt making this executive order, kind of mandating it across the land, throw the boys into the river. The midwives weren't really listening to him, so it went from being somewhat of a subtle plan under the table to being this overt executive order. Get rid of the boys. A particular woman is introduced at the beginning of chapter 2 who is, gives birth to a boy, and she hides him for three months. She hides him successfully, but after three months, she realizes, I can't hide him anymore. So she puts him in a basket, she uh, water, water seals it with tar and sends it down the Nile River, hoping, hoping that someone will find him and that he will live. Imagine what it takes. Imagine the courage for a mom to say goodbye to your baby. So she did that. And in a, in a strange twist of, in this story, an ironic twist, the daughter of Pharaoh, right? So the daughter of the man who's trying to kill all the baby Hebrew boys, that daughter finds this baby, takes him out of the river, and raises him as her own. And she calls him Moses, which means drawn out of, because she's drawn out of the river. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Moses has grown up He's grown up as an Egyptian. He's grown up in Egyptian culture. But one day he goes out as an adult and he sees um, a Hebrew being beaten by, a, by an Egyptian slave master. Moses comes to the Hebrew's aid. He stops the Egyptian, kills him, buries the body, and then he's found out. He realizes that people know what he did uh, and, and he needs to flee before the Egyptians do something to him. So he goes on the run. Goes to the land of Midian where he settles down, has a family. We learn that he is 40 years old at this point. The uh, chapter 2 ends with it basically saying, God finally hears the cries of his people. 
And, and that's where the story turns uh, because that's kind of the point where God starts to step in. And chapter 3 opens with God calling Moses. Moses is out in the wilderness with his, with his flocks and God shows up in a burning bush. And if you've seen any of the Mo- Moses movies, Ten Commandments. How many people saw Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? It's classic. going to be getting played probably at Passover Easter time. But there's that scene, the burning bush scene. There's Charlton Heston at the burning bush. God comes down in the burning bush, calls him, Moses, Moses. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. This is the prince of Egypt. Late 90s, if you saw this one. Burning bush scene. This is in every movie. There's gods and, gods and kings with Christian Bale. The burning bush scene. So God shows up. His presence is made tangible. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But in this moment, he makes himself tangible, seen, manifest, and calls Moses. And that's where we're picking it up in verse 7 of chapter 3. So follow along if you, if you will. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So he shows up to Moses and he says two things. I have heard the cries of my people, and I feel for their suffering. I've heard and I feel. I've heard and I feel. Okay? Now, God is saying this to Moses about the cries of the Hebrew people in Egypt. But he's not telling them this. He's not reassuring them that he's heard their cries. He's saying this to Moses. Why Moses? Little good it's doing them at the moment, right? They don't know that he's heard their cries. They don't know that he feels. After all this time, it's likely they're wondering, does God hear? Does God care? You ever feel like that? You ever cry out to God and pray to God for things and ask him to change something? And you're like, I don't know if he hears me right now. And if he hears me, it certainly doesn't seem like he cares. You ever been there? Yeah, we did a, a video series a few years ago in our church called Dark Days. We put a few stories on video. My wife was one of them. You can see it on our website. Because we were just showing honestly that God's people go through some dark days sometimes where they're wondering, does God hear me? Does God see me? Does God care about me? I encourage you to watch some of those videos. It's on our video page of our website. But I'm sure that's what the people of, of Israel felt like this, or, or felt at this time. And God's telling Moses, I hear and I feel. And then he continues, so I've come down. And the burning bush is evidence that he's come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So, not only does God hear, not only does he feel, now he tells Moses, I've come down, I have a plan to rescue them, I have a plan to bless them. He tells Moses in summary, I am a God who hears, feels, responds, will rescue, 
and we'll bless. But again, God is telling Moses this. He's not telling the people of Israel this. So why Moses? Let's keep reading. Next verse. uh, Verse 10. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I hear, I feel, I, I have a plan to bless, I have a plan to rescue, and that plan starts with you. Go. Moses didn't expect that. First, the burning bush. There's probably a lot on his psyche. And now he's being told that he's going to be the one to go to Pharaoh. And he responds by saying, as you and I would say, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who the heck am I? Why, why, why me? You're going to send me? I've been out in the wilderness. We, we, we learn later. This is, it's been 40 years. He's been out in the wilderness. He's settled down. This is his life now. He doesn't belong to the Hebrew people, really. He doesn't belong to the Egyptians. That, that's, that's in the past. He's been out in the wilderness 40 years. Why me? I'm not really a Hebrew. Yes, I was born a Hebrew, but I wasn't raised one. I can't identify with their, their plight. I can't identify with their suffering. I'm not an Egyptian either, really. I was raised an Egyptian, but they know that I'm not an Egyptian. They don't like me anymore because I kind of came to the rescue of a Hebrew. This is where I belong, out here in Midian with my family. Why me? And he's right. Why Moses? We don't really know. Why Moses? Like what, what kind of relationship did, God, did Moses even have with God? Did he have one? Did he even care about the Hebrews anymore? We don't know. He is right to wonder, who am I? And God responds. He answers Moses' question. He gives him a very good answer to his question of who am I. And he says, I will be with you. doesn't really answer Moses' question, right? Who am I that I should go? And God's like, I'll be with you. In other words, it's like he's saying, it don't matter who you are if I'm with you. It don't matter who you are if my presence goes with you. Again, I don't believe God is as interested in our self-esteem as we like to think he is. I think he is far more interested in our God-esteem Stop wondering who you are, Moses. Don't focus on your inadequacies. Don't focus on uh, whether or not you feel equipped. Just know that I'm going with you. And then God says this, This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I'm making a promise right here and right now that one day you're going to be on this mountain. You're going to be with the people and you're going to be worshiping me and you're going to look back and you're going to remember God accomplished what he promised to accomplish. He's a God who keeps his promises. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? What shall I tell him? He's like, okay, let's, let's you know, he, he's, he's going back and forth with God. He's like, all right, all right, you, you told me that you're going to go with me and you made this promise, but let's think practically here. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell these guys, my people, that God sent me. And they're going to say, really? God sent you? The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent you 
at this moment in time, really, how do we know? What, what, how did it, what, what, what's his name? How did he reveal himself? They knew that God w- would have revealed himself in a, in a fresh way to Moses, like he did to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're like, well, how did he reveal himself to you? What did he say his name was? And God said, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am, I sent me to you. He's not giving Moses a lot of straight answers, right? He's not answering Moses' questions the way Moses wants those answers to be answered. I am who I am. God knows that before Moses really has an answer that will please the people. Moses needs to understand who God is. He needs a big view of God. He needs a great awe of God. And so he says, Moses, I am who I am. I just is. I always is. I always have been. I always will be. I just is. I am ultimate reality. I am the sustainer of everything that is real. It's not the real world and then the other spiritual world. I am ultimate reality who holds it all together, the spiritual and the material. I'm behind it all. Nothing created me. Nothing sustains me. I need no introductions. I need nothing to qualify me. I is who I is. And that's what you need to understand, Moses, and that's what you can tell them. Tell them that I is sent you. Ultimate reality sent you. God also said to Moses, let's keep reading, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. You want a name? This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. What is the name? The Lord. That word Lord is a proper name. Comes from Yahweh. It means Yahweh. It's It's the name he wants to be called from generation to generation. It comes from the word I am, the word for I am. John Piper, a Bible teacher, says this. Every time you see Lord in the English Bible, you should think this is a proper name like Peter or James or John built out of the word for I am and reminding us each time that God absolutely is. Just is. It's reality in the ultimate sense. When you come across that word Lord, it means he is the ultimate Lord of Lords. That's how God is declaring himself to Moses and it's how God wants Moses to declare who God is to the people of Israel. The great I am has sent me to you guys. So Moses asked, who am I to go? God said, don't matter. Just know that I'm going to be with you. Moses is like, well, who are you? I'm the great I am. I'm ultimate reality. Again, this is what Moses needs right now. He doesn't need high self-esteem if he knows who is sending him and who will be with him. He doesn't need pats on the back. He doesn't need to be told, listen, Moses, you're really smart and you're really gifted and you've got all this potential. And you're really courageous and you're beautiful. No, he just needs to know who God is. He needs to know that God's going to be with him. And then he can go. Now let's jump down to verse 18 because I've been talking about the promise of God's presence and his power. This is the promise of his presence. Now we're going to get to the promise of his power. 
in verse 18 of chapter 3, it says this. This is God speaking still. He says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer, offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Okay, so that's what Moses is to say, right? But then verse 19, this is God saying, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Okay, so just try to grasp what's going on here. God says to Moses, you're going to go. You're going to get the elders of Israel on board. They're going to be on board eventually. They're going to join you. You're going to go with them to the king of Egypt. This is what I want you to say. Let us go. We're going to go into the wilderness, etc., etc. Okay, so Moses, I want you to listen to me and say what I tell you to say. And then in verse 19, he's like, but he's not going to listen to you. Just a heads up, it's not going to work. Just a heads up, what I'm sending you off to do ain't going to work. But I'm sending you to do it. I'm sending you to open your mouth to speak these words, and the person I'm sending you to speak to ain't going to listen to you. And that's part of my plan. Just a heads up. Like Moses is not walking away very encouraged, right? I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. It's a greater power than your, your, and your words has to come down on, on the king of Egypt. Here's the good news. Verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, I'll, he'll let you go. So your words are going to fall on deaf ears. It's not going to persuade, but I'm sending you to do it anyway. It's part of my plan. It's for you to fail in that way. Just trust that there's a, there's, I'm going to send signs and wonders that are going to come, and eventually he's going to be persuaded to say, okay, go, get, get, out of, get out of here. That's the promise of God's power. Moses received the promise of his presence. I'm going to go with you. And now he's getting the promise of God's power. I will stretch out my hand and perform these signs and wonders. That's what Moses gets as he's being sent off on this mission. Nowhere in that conversation was it about Moses and his gifts and his strengths and, well, hey, let's focus on your weaknesses. Let's focus on... Blah, blah, blah. Nowhere in that was... A, again, there's... A, let me qualify what, I, you know, what I've been saying. It's important to be self-aware and to know our gifts and weaknesses. It's just not as important as understanding God's promise of his presence and his power. We don't need to know who we are as much as we need to know that God is going to be with us God's going to go before us. When we understand who God is and the God that we get to belong to, we know him, we have a big view of him, and we understand that he promises to be with us and his power is accessible to us. We're not going to be as worried about who we are and whether we have what it takes and, and all that. And we're going to be free. We're going to have that freedom of self-forgetfulness because we'll have a high God esteem. Now that brings us to a question as I kind of prepare to end for the last 45 minutes. That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Few minutes, few minutes. As we prepare to close, we need to ask the question, who gets the promise of God's presence and power? Do, do all of us get that? Do we have, do you have the promise of God's presence and power? You got to ask yourself that question. Because the answer is, it depends. 
Not everybody does. Not everybody does. Not everybody does. You see, God's story, God's story is still unfolding. It's still the same story to multiply a people for himself who worship him, who obey him. He's still rescuing people out of slavery. He's rescuing people today out of slavery to sin and death, rescuing them out of their pride, their, their self-absorption, rescuing them, leading them into a resurrection life that he has for them. That's what God is still doing. But he's doing it through a greater Moses, a more perfect Moses. He's doing it through God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came down in the ultimate sense. Remember when God said to Moses, I've come down, I've heard the cries of my people, I see, I see them suffering and I've come down? Well, God sees the suffering of all of humanity and he came down in the ultimate sense by getting in a baby, living a life that we couldn't live, dying on a cross to pay for the penalty of sin, taking the curse of the world upon himself, what you and I deserve, he took it upon himself. And then he busted out of the grave, victorious. And he says to us, you can follow me into this resurrection life. He says, literally said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way. I'm the greater Moses. I'm leading you. Follow me. More than that, he said that he is the great I am. Like God said to Moses, I'm the great I am. Jesus said in John 8, he was talking to some religious leaders. They were going back and forth about Abraham. And it says in John 8, verse 57, they're go, they're, this is the religious leaders. They're like, you're not yet 50 years old, they say to Jesus. And you, you've seen Abraham. And Jesus replied in verse 58, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I, like, I came through the line of Abraham. Yes, I was born into the baby, the family of Abraham. But before Abraham was, I am. I always is. I always was. I created Abraham because I created everything. I'm behind everything. I've always been. That's Jesus declaring that. So when we take that Jesus who declares the great I am, and we're like, no, I just want to make him like a good teacher to emulate along with the other religious figures of the world and put them together on the same level because that feels fair and equal to me. We're actually rejecting Jesus as who he declares himself to be. And when we reject Jesus, we're rejecting God because Jesus is God. He's the great I am. And so to think that we can reject Jesus and then still come into the presence of God and get the presence of God, well, it doesn't make any sense because we're rejecting God, right? We're rejecting who God revealed himself as. It's Jesus and we can't say, no, I don't want you, Jesus. I don't want to worship you in that way. I don't want to believe that you had to die for me. I just want God to hear my prayers and bless me. And then we wonder, I don't know if I feel God's presence. Well, that's why. We're rejecting the son. We're rejecting the one who's, who came to lead us out of slavery. So that's why I say not everybody gets God's presence. Not if we're rejecting Jesus. We're all offered it. Jesus offers it to everybody. He's like, come on. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do tomorrow. You get the offer of resurrection life. Just follow me. I'm the great I am. 
I'm the great I am. And when we trust in him, the Bible says we, we we're commanded to get baptized. Baptism, we got one coming up on March 28th. Baptism is a public declaration to the world that I've been set free from slavery. When we go down underwater, it represents that our old lives, this, our old lives as, as slaves to sin and death has been broken, gone. And when we come up out of the water, it represents new life, the very resurrection life of Jesus living in us, a life that's going to go on for all eternity. That's what that represents, and that's what's offered to everybody here. And so if you've never said yes to Jesus as a Savior, as your Lord, as your great I Am, maybe today's the day you do that. You can do that today. Maybe today is like a burning bush moment for you where God's using this sermon, He's using this time together to speak to you, to call you to Himself. Just like that burning bush kind of called Moses out of this ordinary routine life. It was like, Moses... Your life's going to change now. Maybe God's trying to get your attention and going, hey, 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 it's time. It's time you bow your knee to Jesus, the great I am. And once we do that, once we do that, once we're reconciled to God, you know what the Bible says? Then we're sent out to be agents of reconciliation, just like Moses was sent out. Just like Moses was sent back to Egypt, you and I are sent back out into the world to represent our king, to represent his kingdom with a message, with the good news. There's somebody who paid for you to be set free. That's what Jesus said to his followers after he died and rose again. I want you to see the, the um, similarities between Jesus' words here and what God said to Moses at the burning bush, okay? I want you to see this in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I, I'm in charge. I'm Yahweh. I'm the Lord of lords. Therefore, go. Remember he said to Moses, go. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing, immersed into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Go declare to people the good news that they can be immersed into a new identity. The identity of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A new family. A new kingdom. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, check this out. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What's that a promise of? His presence, right? Just like he promised Moses. I'm going to be with you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you. As you go out to fulfill my mission and to be agents of my big restoration project, my big project of redeeming the world. I'm going to be with you. I'm, your, my presence is a promise. I will be with you as you go. And then he promises his power in Acts 1.8. He said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power, and then you'll be my witnesses. He doesn't say, hey, guys, before you go be my witnesses, you need to go get a seminary education, and there's some weaknesses you got to work on. And I need to, he, doesn't, he doesn't say all that. He says, you need power. What you need is power, the power that comes from me, and you're going to get it. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you with that power. And then 
You're going to be my witnesses. My martus is the word, the Greek word martus. It has the idea of being a, a, a testifier in, in court, a storyteller, telling what you've seen and heard, opening your mouth, just like Moses was sent to open his mouth, right, to, to, to the elders of Israel and then to, and to, then to Pharaoh to declare the message of God, that God is saving his people. He's going to rescue them from Egypt. We are told to be his witnesses. Jesus is the king. He's made a way. He's rescuing the world. You get to be part of it. You get to follow him. We get to do that. We get to follow his, his orders here, trusting that he's going to be with us with his presence and he's going to fill us with his power, just like he promised Moses. We act in obedience. We step out in faith, knowing that this is God's plan. So we, we, we don't speak in order to change people's hearts or because we have the power to persuade. In fact, we, we don't. We speak not in order to save people, but because God is saving people. And he's invited us to be part of it. He's at work in people's lives. Ephesians 2 says that he's prepared good works for us to do in advance which means that when an opportunity pops up at, you, at your job or in school, in your classroom, where you get to uh, give good news about God's love to that person, you can trust that that's a good work God has already prepared for you. He's already at work there. You don't need to conjure something up and force something and manipulate something. And when Christians try to do that, you, they make Christianity look bad. But when we go, you know what? God's at work here. I'm just going to step into that. And what else did we learn from Moses? Sometimes it's going to seem like it's falling on deaf ears. Parents of adult children, you ever feel like that? Parents of teenagers, you ever feel like that? Parents of any kind of children, you ever, you ever feel like that? Anybody who's ever worked with a co-worker and you shared to, tried to share this good news of Jesus and it's like they don't want to hear it, maybe a family member? Sometimes it's going to feel like that. Our temptation is going to be to look at us, well, maybe I don't know enough. Maybe, I, you know, I don't have every... They, they were talking about creation versus evolution. I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I need to, you know, we, we're going to be tempted to go there. But like I've been saying this whole time, it doesn't matter who we are when we have the promise of God's presence and power. In a moment, God can move in somebody's heart. God can flex his muscles. Somebody was telling me this past week about how some, they were talking, having a spiritual conversation with someone at work, and they said prior to that day, they never would have thought this person would be interested. This was the last person. This person had a bad reputation at work. Just, they were just a jerk to everybody. And like, all of a sudden, this person was interested in spiritual things. Why is that? Because this guy, this, this guy in our church was so special. I love this guy, but no, it wasn't because of him. It was because God all of a sudden decided to move in this co-worker's heart. That's it. And my friend just stepped into it. He was obedient. I, I started off by saying as a pastor and as a father, I feel, I feel inadequate at times lately. Um, and, and one thing I'm learning, especially as a pastor, one thing I'm learning is that the, the, the more... Is inconfident a word? That's not a word, is it? The less confident I feel <laughs> as a pastor in myself, in my, in, in, in my abilities, 
the more confident I've grown in God's power to overcome those inadequacies, if that makes sense. Uh, so the, the more I'm faced with situations where I, I, I feel like I don't have an answer. I was on the phone with somebody two weeks ago, and, and they were kind of going on about the situation. I'm like, listen, dude, I don't know what you should do. I have no advice for you. I am empty with advice. I got nothing. Here's what I'm doing for you. I'm praying. I'm praying every day for you. That's what I got. That's my role right now. You tell me what I can be praying for, and I'm praying. Somebody else might have advice. It just ain't me. I'm not telling you not to get advice. Find somebody better than me to get advice from. It ain't me. I'm, at, I'm meeting with people less because of me counseling people. It's just, it, eh, you know, I, I, I've either ticked people off or given them bad advice. I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm praying for people more. I'm praying for people more. And when I tell people I'm praying for them, I mean it. And I believe God is moving. He's answering my prayers. I'm seeing him answer my prayers in people's lives, often with other people in the church. And they have no idea. Right? So Quentin might be meeting with Josh about something. And Quentin's getting his mind blown by stuff Josh is saying. And I'm praying behind doors. And Quentin's giving the credit to Josh. But I should be getting the credit. <laughs> I'm, ki I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But the point is... <laughs> I know that, that I've got access to the presence of the God of the universe and that he hears my prayers and that he moves on behalf of my prayers. And that's what we all get because of Jesus. I don't get that because I'm a pastor. We all get that. We all do. So here's how I want to end today. Miguel and Delani, would you guys come back up here? They're going to lead us in a song. They're, well, actually, they're going to sing a song over us. And here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Because we've we all got family members and friends in our lives who we have a burden for. Right? Maybe not all of us. Maybe some of us have a burden for a family member or a friend. Here's what I want to ask us to do. There's a, one of these cards around you somewhere uh, on your row. There should be. My daughter's distributed them. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. As the band sings over us, as the band sings over us, you're going to take these cards, and if you have somebody that you're burdened for, you're going to just write their name down. It, it, this, is a, this, is, this, this is you just saying, God, I can't change this person's heart. I can't fix them. I can't rescue them. I can't transform them. I can't persuade them. But I can pray, and I can be obedient if you ask me to open my mouth. And I'm not going to get hyper-focused on my inadequacies or my weaknesses, nor am I going to become overly dependent on my strengths and my experiences and think that if I just say things this way, that they're going to listen to me. No, 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 God. I'm going to be dependent on your presence and your power. And I'm going I'm 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 to commit to coming into your presence on a regular basis to pray for this family member or friend. And I'm going to expect your power to be at work in their life as a result. And you're going to write their name down and just come forward. So this is, the, this is the packet from the first service. You don't have to put your name on it if you don't want to. It can be anonymous, right? Just put, you know, John and Elizabeth. Right? You just come down and put it down here. It's just a declaration of faith. I'm choosing today to depend on God's presence and God's power. That's what I'm, that's what I'm choosing to depend on. As Miguel and Delani sing over us. Okay.